As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Welcome to the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. Hey gang, welcome back to episode four of the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. I am, as always, Witch, and on this episode I am joined by the podcast machine, human IMDB, and all-around top bloke, Duncan McLeish. How are you, mate? I'm doing really well. This is this is very exciting. I don't have to get into a time machine or be in another dimension to chat to you, no. which is good. It, it's fantastic. It, it uh, saves on a lot of travel and uh, less chance of getting uh, weird diseases or being fo- forced to watch just rubbish movies. Yeah, well, you say weird diseases, but depending on when this episode comes out, things might be a bit grim. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying they might be grim. True, true. Well, you know, look, I'm hiding behind a wall of toilet paper, so I think I'll be okay. <laughs> also, I was thinking that when I was when I was watching a movie earlier in the week, and um, medical advice being as it is, which is kind of so-so at the moment with what's happening, um, they did say that they reckoned that it, it would not stand up, the virus would not stand up to uh, kind of concentrated amounts of alcohol. And I was thinking, had this virus hit during the untouchables, everyone would have been fucked so. That's exactly it. All the law abiding people would have been dead. That's yes. it. Sorry. And uh, you know what? The uh, president at the time would have just said, no, it's okay. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Everyone will be fine. In fairness, I think he's saying that just now. <laughs> so. uh, yes. Yes, he is. Um, before we get into the movie that is quite clearly The Untouchables from 1987, uh, for anyone that doesn't know you, because I've been podcast whoring myself across far and wide, would you like to let folks know just a little bit about yourself? Um, so, if you haven't guessed from the accent, I live in Scotland. Um, I am the kind of founder of the podcast Under the Stairs, which has been on the go. This is our seventh year podcast in oh which... Oh, God. This is like... Every time I say it, I just feel ill a little bit inside of me. It's like, <laughs> think of all you could... You could have learned guitar and be in a touring band right now. Um, you could have built a pyramid. Um, all, all these things that I could have done that I didn't do. Uh, yeah, um, it's a horror movie review podcast. And I've, I spin off and do various other bits and bobs. At the moment, I'm doing kind of little other projects that are kind of flying around but yeah I, I have through podcasting had the opportunity to chat with many 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 amazing people including yourself that's how we know each other and yes. I am and to say I am excited about this new venture is an understatement and that because I'm on a horror podcast chances are if people are inviting me on to a show it's usually to discuss a horror movie and whilst I know some horror fans are complete snobs and purists to the genre um, I'm a lover of cinema, first and foremost. Uh, horror just happens to be the particular alley that I like to gamble in, but I love all sorts of cinema. And this one, when you circulate the list, um, just happens to not only have some of my favourite actors of all time, but is directed by one of my favourite directors of all time. So I'm a massive De Palma fan. All his flaws and um, issues that he has, notwithstanding, I think he's a phenomenal filmmaker. And this is the decade that really sets him apart. And this is one of the movies uh, that kind of makes my household name away from all the grubby genre movies he was doing. So, uh, yeah, very excited to talk about this one. So thank you for inviting me on. 
Oh, look, any, any time. And I know you have a passion for De Palma, which is why I was not surprised when you went, oh, De Palma, that's me. That's me. Me, me. Just pick me. <laughs> there was other things on the list. Like, that's a thump. You sent the first 10 episodes uh, list out, and it was a thumping good list. And trust me, I went down that road, but there was kind of like, yeah, but that could be a much more fun conversation. I could see so much about. But ultimately, I think it would be sacrilege to do an episode of this show and, you know, pass up the opportunity one, talk about De Palma and two, talk about Connery. I think if there's a Sean Connery movie on a podcast and a Scotsman's not there talking about it, then a, an angel dies or a fairy yes. loses its wings. I don't know. What are the two? A kitten sneezes? I don't know what the rules are. <laughs> Maybe a pub closes. Who knows? <gasps> See, now there. There you go. You said that right there and my left testicle just went right up. So... <laughs> Got that that weirdest oh, feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, while everyone's feeling just decidedly uncomfortable, uh, we might just quickly go to the trailer of 1987's The Untouchables and then come back and talk a bit about the movie. I grew up in a tough neighborhood. Sometimes reputation follows you. Robert De Niro is Al Capone. There is violence in Chicago, of course, but not by me and not by anybody I employ. And I'll tell you why, because it's not good business. Kevin Costner is Elliot Ness. I have sworn to put this man away with any and all legal means at my disposal, and I will do so. Sean Connery is Jimmy Malone. You want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife. You pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital. You send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. You just joined the Treasury Department, son. Everybody knows where the booze is. The problem isn't finding it. Let's do some good! The problem is who wants to cross the pond. Somebody messes with me, I'm gonna mess with him. You carry a badge? Yes. Carry a gun. Get your hands in the air! You're all under arrest! You fellas are untouchable. Is that the thing? No one can get to you? Hey, everybody can be gotten to. All right, then. Drive him to the station. Anything happens, you shoot first. You understand me? Well, I'll tell you one more thing. You got an all-out price fight, you wait till the fight's over, one guy's left standing, and that's how you know who won. Just tell me, are you being careful? Careful as mice. I want to hurt the man Malone. I want to start taking the battle to him. I want to hurt Capone. This man can finger Al Capone. This man can put Capone behind bars. Well, what's the matter? Can't you talk with a gun in your mouth? You're not to prove your methods. Yeah? Well, you're not from Chicago. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. Pictures presents a Brian De Palma film. I have forsworn myself. I have broken every law I swore to defend. I have become what I beheld, and I am content that I have done right. You got nothing, nothing, and if you are a man, you would have done it now. Never stop fighting till the fight is done. The Untouchables. All right, so uh, this movie is, of course, 
1987's The Untouchables, runtime of one hour and 59 minutes. And it goes by at an absolute, despite the fact that it's two hours, mm-hmm. it goes by at a clip. It really doesn't drag at all. I think the the fact that it's set in, uh, the movie's really clever in that it picks a time period where, like, we know, like, Al Capone's already established as a character, and we know who Al Capone is, even if you've... Yeah. You know who he is. Um, so he's already established, and we come in right on the back of, kind of, Elliot Ness being, kind of, appointed to his position that he's, he's in, and then you're following his journey right through until the inevitable end, so to speak, that there's no dim time at all. It's a very exciting time, um, just oh, in general. Yeah. And as a result, the movie kind of grabs you and pulls you along and then there's like a lot of De Palma movies that are longer tend to be very interesting just because of the way he directs movies he's very inventive with a camera so you're never really sat with a point where you're like well this is a bit of a boring scene because there's always like a million things happening so yeah like I hadn't realised until you just said that this movie's just under two hours long I'd always assumed it was about an hour and a half so there you go and I just watched it like a couple of weeks ago (laughs) Well, I literally watched it again last night uh, when I was sort of finishing my notes, and it's just like, no, nope. I was like, oh, I'm done, mm. and, and and then I looked at the camera and went, oh shit, it's like two hours, but because there are some movies that are two hours, it's like, oh, <laughs> but he doesn't wait, he, he doesn't waste time on you know like pointless character development or anything else. You get enough about the characters, and it's, and as you said, it's like everyone knows this story mm-hmm. ultimately, maybe not the the intimate detail, but everyone knows. Um, the story, and obviously ticking off the fact that you know it is it's a De Palma movie, and we will be visiting De Palma again very soon with one of my all-time favourites in 1983's Scarface. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I love that movie so much. Um, it's just it's just so good. Um, you know, it's you know you've got Costner. Who you know is a little polarizing. There are a lot of people that don't like Costner. I think this is one of his, definitely one of his better movies. He's like it's weird to remember that at one point Kevin Costner was the highest paid actor in the world. I mean, it's, yes, it's, he was in everything. He was the like the early nineties. He was the man. Like you put Costner in a movie that was guaranteed huge money. And it wasn't really until, and it wasn't even his fault, the flop that was Waterworld kind of really destroyed that. Um, but up until that point, he was bankable. I mean, you you would watch him, and you would watch him in like a Field of Dreams. You'd watch him in JFK, which is like another great movie, notwithstanding oh, yeah. some of the inaccuracies of the time. Uh, of course, that's my personal opinion. Uh, but you know, I mean, um, he's, back into the left, <laughs> back into the left. Um, <laughs> Like he what he was the name. So you have De Palma who is coming off. I mean, at this stage, De Palma is ma- is making the transition. He's done kind of weird, kind of Jalloesque sort of movies. He's he's kind of moving out of that horror realm that he's been in pretty much since he started. Scarface is a transition one, so he does that one. He's now doing things about gangs, etc. He does that movie, which his name escapes me with Danny DeVito, the comedy that comes out the year before this. Uh, uh, couldn't tell you. Uh, so yeah, so he does like a, a gangster comedy the year before this one. It's not a big hit at all, and then hits out with the Untouchables, and it's like right, the man has now arrived, and you know this makes a shitload of money, and then within what within five 
six years maybe tops he's working on Mission Impossible and that's his highest grossing movie so um, you know he's 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 doing things the cast is insane for this like not only you're talking Costner the highest paid actor you're talking Sean Connery who is you know even at this stage still even though he's on the downswing he's still a bankable name you've got De Niro in here as Capone which is a stroke of genius and you've got Andy Garcia who is Fucking brilliant in this movie. And Billy Drago. Yeah, I know. Billy Drago, yeah, which oh. is the reason to watch this movie over and over See, and over again. I love Billy Drago so much. And um, Cat Out of the Bag, he is my absolute standout for this movie. As Nitty the Enforcer, mm-hmm. he is fantastic. He doesn't need to see anything in a scene for you to realise that one, he's dangerous, and two, totally sleazy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Just uh, and ab- he he just he exudes predator, mm-hmm. and it's just like he's just absolutely filthy, but so so good. Now look, we we mentioned obviously Connery and unabashedly love Connery. Mm-hmm. He is my James Bond. I know a lot of people don't like. James oh, Bond this movies. is why I love you. <laughs> he's my James Bond as well. I don't think I think the conversation really ends with him. I mean, there's plenty of. Interest in Bonds, but to me, that like the definitive Bond is Connery. So it is Connery with, without a shadow of a doubt. That uh, that movie from '86 with Danny DeVito uh, and Joe Pesci is Wise Guys. Ah, see, I knew it was mob based anyway. It's, it, it's not a bad movie, but it's one that people forget pretty quick. Yes. It is, and I, I may well touch on that down the track. As I said, De Palma will be visited on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we'll, we'll talk about some facts. And like I said, you mentioned as I said, Connery is is my Bond, and he's awesome in this movie, despite the fact that he's playing an Irishman. Uh, <laughs> and it's the Connery rule of accents. It's the same accent, regardless of what he's doing. He's Russian, he's Irish, he's anything. It doesn't matter. An Egyptian Spaniard, if you will. If you will, exactly. <laughs> Same accent all the way through. And that just that just says, you know what, he can do what he wants because he's Connery. Yeah, I mean, we're not like, uh, I mean, I, I know to the Americans, the uneducated Americans out there, not our, your, your faithful American listeners out there who know the difference. Uh, it is common to mistake an Irish accent for a Scottish accent. I don't know why, because they are vastly different. Oh, um, yes. So I think maybe that plays okay to to some audiences who don't know the subtle nuances of the fact that Sean Connery just sounds like Sean. No one sounds like Sean Connery. So I no. think maybe that's how he gets away with it. But he is... I mean, even at the age they was in this movie, he is still a hard bastard. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't yeah. want to be on the wrong side of him at all. <laughs> Yeah, you know he's got a right cross that will just cave your nose in. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's not taking any shit. Uh, you know, he, he drinks scotch for breakfast mm-hmm. and just does not give a shit. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. And like I said, Andy Garcia, who's really, he's on the rise at this point in time and he's as good as. Yeah, he's brilliant in this one. Because what's weird about Andy Garcia is in years to come after this movie he would be the logical choice to play Capone you know what I mean he, yes. he'd be, he, he would head down that way but he's fresh faced in this movie he is you know he's got a lot of enthusiasm and he, I think 
it shows a lot of his acting chops and ability here where he is not a leading man but when the camera's on him he feels like the leading man like Costner is really good in this movie at not overshadowing anyone in the cast I think it's very easy in a, a trope and I trained in a lot of kind of gang crime movies to make sure that your kind of law enforcement officer is so charismatic that he's alone. He's the guy that's going to get to the bottom of this case. You know what I mean? That's, that's the way they usually work. And that's not how Capone was taken down. And this movie understands that. You need someone who's a leading man to play Elliot Ness. But you need to have captivating characters who are all in their own right you know, good at certain things. And that's, is, this is like, this is like a weird kind of amalgamation of, um, you know, ordinary cops, Irish beat cops, uh, accountants, uh, you know, like, all kind of banding together to bring their own set of skills together and become the untouchables. And, I think one might say they have a unique set of skills. <laughs> yeah, a unique set of skills. Uh, what I love about it as well is that the name in itself um, belies the the violence that will happen later on, specifically to that team of cops, and yes. I think it, it it works in a lot of different ways. But you just assume with these, you like, I mean, you, you're you're giving away things in this show anyway, and this movie's quite old. Uh, but well, like, yeah. you would never expect Sean Connery to die in this movie, no. <laughs> like, n- never no. in a million fucking years would you expect him to die. And I think that's the specifically the hands in nitty um, but when you see it happen it's built up so much goodwill when a, whenever any hero dies in this movie you feel it man you, it, oh, it yeah. lands with you and that is a testament to not having one guy who rules the roost so to speak when you look at the, the, the kind of protagonist in the movie but at the same time the fact that you spend enough time with every single character here enough to kind of gravitate to them and, and be concerned yeah. about their their kind of health and safety and on the flip side of that you, you build uh, an emotional connection and I was just going to say you know you talk about when they die and you you know you really feel it and I think part of that's got to do with the score mm. I mean you, you know it, it's Ennio Morricone yeah you can't go wrong there And but it, the music is so evocative and so emotional mm-hmm. that you feel everything that happens yeah I, I mean it's it's insane once again that we're not only talking about Brian De Palma like this is kind of we're almost at his peak level of influence and then on top of that you're talking about arguably the greatest composer of all time who's just you know he's just slumming it for a little American movie while he's you know <laughs> taking a break it's it's so strange but it adds so much the wrong score in a movie like this totally ruins it uh, oh, it yeah. can make it far too cheesy um, the score is instantly memorable like watching it um, which will be the first time I've seen it in a couple of years to be fair, but watching it at the start of the week, as soon as that, you know, da, 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 as soon as it starts kicking in, I'm like, oh, right, I'm right back to where I was the first yep. time I watched this movie. And it's the power of the score, man. I, it's why I talk about it so much on my show. I think sometimes people roll their eyes when they're, oh, here comes Duncan to talk about a score. A score can make and break a movie. Some scores. Oh, absolutely. Some scores are not memorable at all. And as a result, you like, partly you have too much time to think about things. When a, a movie has got a great score, regardless of what's on the screen, you're constantly being moved forward with the story. And this has, this has it. This is a, a very well-crafted, great little score, um, which fits through it. And then the other factor that you need to make this movie work is a great villain. 
and oh. like we do not see a lot of Capone in this movie at all but what you do see of him is like every scene he's even more malicious than he was the baseball bat scene oh, in this movie is fucking incredible it is uh, it is like very at a very personal level incredibly like jarring mm. and just uh, only for the fact that I, I've sat um, in meetings um, in my professional life <laughs> that were almost identical to that and the only thing sh- between a baseball bat was it was actually somebody's fist being pounded uh, <laughs> on a boardroom table right next to somebody um, and, and it was just like I, I was waiting for like, someone to just freaking die um, <laughs> so you laugh but it's true <laughs> Uh, and uh, and for those of you at home that are playing, that was in the childcare industry. So think about that for a second. Yeah, let that sink um, in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. These are the people that uh, have the care of your young ones. Um, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you don't you don't get an overdose of Capone. Uh, you don't. And De Niro in this is like every scene. Like if you if you Google this and go to YouTube, mm-hmm. the the clips that everybody knows, three out of five of those. Uh, De Niro is Capone. Yeah, yeah, easily. You know, and and it's his, it's his full on commitment to this. I mean, this is him at his absolute, just face pulling, body throwing, just full commitment best. Yeah, you know, oh, he's yeah. he put on like thirty pounds or something to play the role. Of course, because he's Pacino. Like, yeah. uh, not Pacino. Sorry, De Niro. That's what. That's what he's this guy Niro. does. This is what. Yeah. This guy does, like, even down to the fact that, like, there's infamous stories about, um, um, like, finding the guy that made um, Capone's suits, like, the, mm. the, his original tailor tracking this guy down and saying, right, you make me suits like you made, because he, he encapsulates the role completely, and I, mm. there's, a, there's a lot to be said about method actors, um, you know, sometimes it's a complete pain in the tits, I understand that, right, but yes. if you've got De Niro, you know, all in on this, then you have nothing, as a director, you have nothing to worry about, like, no. nothing at all. Now, here's a little fact that I found on IMDb, which, like, kind of made me chuckle to the many, many, many different ways this movie could be different. I'm going to read you a list of actors, my friend, that were originally considered to play Elliot Ness. This is kind of amazing, right? So, some totally work. Some you'll just be like, what were they thinking? And others you'll be like, remember he was American, right? So um, He was American, definitely. (laughs) So, uh, actors that were were considered, uh, Alec Baldwin, I'm thinking, not a bad choice. That could work. Not a bad choice, yeah, you can see that. Nicolas Cage. Thinking different movie. <laughs> well, that, that's a very different movie. <laughs> I think a different movie. Uh, Michael Douglas, once again, I think maybe a little bit too old. Even at that stage, I think yeah, maybe a little bit too old. Yeah, even if that stage a little old, but maybe. Yeah. Uh, Rutger Hoare, which is... Uh, <laughs> we're going off. Uh, yeah, no, that's off on a tangent. And Rutger Hauer, I love Rutger Hauer, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, yeah no. No. He's, I, I would never see him in a period piece like this. <laughs> no, 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 no. In the future, as a replicant or nothing else. That's the way that yep. works. Uh, Ed Harris, which I think could have worked. Like, Ed Harris is... Yeah, yeah maybe. Yep. Uh, he's got that look about him. Yeah, I think he's he's quite small though. I think, but I think yeah. it, it could have worked. Uh, William Hurt, which I think is a great shout. I love William Hurt and absolutely everything. So William yes. can, can do yeah. no wrong. Um, 
a guy who's really coming at his own, but in the eighties probably not. Don Johnson was considered. <laughs> yeah, I'd say I read the Don Johnson one and went, yeah, eighties Don Johnson. No, current Don Johnson, definitely. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's, he's having a little renaissance right now. Uh, a Johnson sauce, although I think that may be something Ooh. else now that I've said it. Oh, no, let's not go there. Ooh. <laughs> um, uh, Michael Keaton, which um, I think a little bit too fresh faced. Um, yeah, and really, he he did do uh, Johnny Dangerously, and mm-hmm. after that, he could never he could never play a mobster. <laughs> also, he's Batman, so I mean, yeah, that's true. Can't have that. Uh, Mel Gibson, which. Yeah, too no. too manic again. Too, too, and really, at this point in time, too young. Of course, of course. As is this one, right? This is amazing. Christopher Lambert, right? So we could have had we could have had a Highlander reunion here. Like, oh my god! Like where Connery dies and then his power goes. Through. You must avenge me, Highlander. Um, so uh, John Malkovich, which no. Too much of a villain. Yeah. Too much of a villain. As is this, Ron Perlman, never in a million years. Now, again, can't see Ron Perlman uh, uh, in a period piece like this. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like the episode of, of the original Star Trek where Spock dresses up as a gangster. <laughs> it just looks wrong. <laughs> this is not right. Um, one that got my attention, I would watch it every day of the week. Kurt Russell was considered for a time. And so this would be Kurt Russell post. Um, what, this would be the year after Big Trouble in Little China. Um, yes. So again, very different movie. Completely different movie. Uh, I, I, I think he could do it, but could he do it as good as the next choice, Arnold Schwarzenegger? Capone, <laughs> <laughs> you gone down. Um, going down <laughs> let's do some good and then the only thing kind of stranger than that because uh, we're just throwing everything in here Sylvester Stallone I <sighs> mean I'm trying to think when Oscar came out Oscar's the late 80s I think yeah. kind of mob bossy yeah, d- sort of yeah look again I look I, I like Stallone in a lot of things mm-hmm. not as yeah not not as this and again maybe on the other side of the fence yep um, you know the only other one that I saw, which, which I went, I don't understand, was Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke, yep. Yeah, Mickey Rourke and a, a Nick Nolte, both as well for oh, that. And Nick Nolte, not- far too haggard voice. And yeah, yes. I mean, I, I don't get it. I, the last couple of names, John Travolta, Bruce Willis and James Wood. Uh, Bruce Willis, too much of that leading guy thing that you don't want. Uh, John yes. Travolta, this is before he really kind of steps up and kind of finds new life and and doing mm. kind of Pulp Fiction. Uh, James Woods is an interesting one, actually. I think... James Woods could do it. I think he it, like, he's it. the closest, I think, out of the list of names there where I, would, that I could see that. Weirdly enough, completely different energy to um, yeah. Costner. Costner's got a very chilled energy, even when he's mm. building up. I think it's one of the reasons I think it works. I think if you have too much of a manic character there, especially when you think about some of the action set pieces and the the scene like where the you know the first kind of catch the rum runners and he's standing there and he's pictures for the paper and and all these sort of things. James Woods maybe a bit too smug for that scene. 
question mark yeah maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, james wood can do quiet intensity quite well though mm-hmm. i reckon mm-hmm. um depending on how he's directed i think it and look given that it was in De Palma's hands he probably could have could have pulled it off yeah but i don't i don't think you would have got the same the same emotional connection if you put james woods in those family situations that yep. obviously they play i don't think you would have got that feeling like uh, I mean, uh, Costner in those scenes, you know, with his family and everything else, you can see that there's an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Like, it actually plays out. Woods I don't, is always fairly aloof. Yeah. I don't think he, that would have maybe come off as well. I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think um, it's a weird thing that sometimes when you, like, see, like, a, a list of other cast... Um, that were potentially, you know, recommended or considered, and you think about how that changes the dynamic of a movie, and how that movie would be post. And weirdly enough, I think the casting's perfect in this movie. Like, there's not one mm. actor in here that I'm like, oh, if we just change that, out. everyone completely occupies the role they're supposed to do. Does no more than is required for them, and you remember standout scenes with each of those characters. In their own yeah. right, you know what I mean, and that is that's a testament to not only great performances but great filmmaking. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to counter your uh, Elliot Ness potentials with <laughs> something that I read about uh, a Capone potential uh, who was De, pa- De Palma's backup in case De Niro said no. Bob Hoskins. <laughs> I love Bob Hoskins, and that's purely for stature. That's not for yeah. That's not yeah, for that, anything. That's a little round man that can play angry. Have you ever like the, the weird thing about it? Like, is I love Bob Hoskins. I think he's a fucking amazing actor. Like, and he done some. I mean, if it's not on your list, if it's not on your list, um, that well, I'm not give it away just in case you're considered somewhere down. But if I get an invite coming back. I've got a movie that we need to do because it's fucking insane and you've seen it before you know but we'll, we'll just tease them let's say you get them back yes. oh. I, I know what we're talking about oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like Bob Hoskins American accent is not great right I, I, I mean it's okay it passes them but it's not great and you only have to look at something like uh, Shattered which is like a all time favourite movie of mine yes. and his American accent and that is I mean it's it's it's, it's kind of like Dick Van Dyke being a chimney sweep, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a bit too on the nose, so... Yeah. Uh, Bob Hoskins yeah. is purely stature, though. That's, oh, that can only be it. That can only, like, we need someone to fit this suit. Hoskins yes. is a man. That can do the lean-back look uh, and just be angry. Uh, you know, the... the it's easy to picture Bob Hoskins with a cigar in his mouth, mm-hmm. and that's what it is. Right, that's the look. Yeah. But I read the interesting thing was that the tidbit was that um, obviously you know De Palma was concerned that De Niro would say no, mm-hmm. and he talked to Bob Hoskins, and he actually mailed him a check for twenty thousand pounds just to say thank you for talking to him. Fucking hell! <sighs> Jesus! <Christ. laughs> oh, well played, Tom. Well played, Tom. Here's twenty grand just for just for having a quick chat in case the guy that I really want to play the movie doesn't isn't in on it. I mean, how good is that? So this guy keeps saying that. Yeah, he's made some bad bad choices, but he's a he's a nice guy. He's a, here's a question for you, right? Here's a question for you. Um, why do you think it is that 
The Untouchables maybe isn't spoken about enough nowadays. Do you think it's purely the time period? When you consider the movies round about it, like Carlito's Way is always mentioned, um, mm. and you know that you mentioned it earlier on. Scarface is always mentioned, and I would argue, and I know you're probably going to disagree with me. I think The Untouchables is the better of those three movies, but it always seems that people go to one extreme with Scarface, are they focused like purely on Carlito's way and for some reason always kind of jump over the Untouchables, which is weird to me considering I think Untouchables is the one that did better critically uh, and financially as well. So, Well, I think it it pulled in like 106 million (laughs) worldwide. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, that was like, you know, in in its original release. Mm. Um, You know, look, honestly, I... Again, Scarface is a real soft spot in my heart. Uh, a, a white soft spot. Um, <laughs> and and Carlito's Way is, again, a different movie. I, I gravitate to this, and I think it's got to do with when I saw it, um, how I feel about it. But I think a lot of people look at it, and if it's the one thing that people go, yeah, it's what puts them off, it's, well, it's... It's Costner mm-hmm. and the fact that this was this was a big award winning Academy movie. Oh yeah, yeah. This this one this right. one turned heads so in a yeah. way that like that's what I'm saying. This is the one that puts the Palmer weirdly on the map. Like everyone's like that. This the Palmer, on, yeah. yeah, this the Palmer yeah, guy pretty, can direct. <laughs> yeah, he can do stuff and he, you know, it's all out there. But you know, you go to your movie snob and mm-hmm. you know, we're we're both quite familiar with them in various <laughs> genre levels. Um and they go, uh, you know, I, I I don't look at that because that's for the little people. Yeah, I think um, I think you're hitting like I, I I it's only through this conversation like I understand that there's a bit of kinda of negative press that's been slung Costner's way. But I like I always just remember Costner as being like Robin Hood and you know like which that movie was fucking huge <laughs> like I, that, that Brian Adams song was number one in the UK oh, chart for like sixteen weeks and yeah. yeah yeah it just kept happening and happening so I just remember, like remember Costner in this time period being like like the biggest name ever that I always just assume that this is the biggest movie. And it's not the one that people talk about. And I wonder if you're right there when you look at something like Carlito's Way or you're looking at Scarface in particular, what, what, what do those movies have in common? Huge Al Pacino performances. And I think maybe that's yeah. what is people like Pacino is. I mean, he's widely regarded as the greatest actor of all time. So maybe that's... Mm. Whereas I don't think Kevin Costner's on that top 20 list. <laughs> Well, no, because people go, hey, remember the postman? <gasps> oh, see, see, when you like, it's like, you know, when you see prize fighters who have like, are like, re- really have never lost a fight ever, and then they lose that one fight, and then after that, they're kind of human after that, and then like, they lose a string of fights because their confidence is all gone. That's the story of Costner. Like, Costner could do yeah. no wrong until Waterworld, and then the postman came out, and we were like, what are we doing here? What's going on? Really? <laughs> please stop. Please, please stop. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just have a sit down with him and tell him to just kill his jets for a couple of years until something yeah. good comes along. And it's, it's, we- it's really, really, really weird. Um, and I think, I think what's, what's interesting about it is how unremarkable he is. I think that's. I think that's maybe what is. Look, when you see like Pacino through the different eras of Pacino, um, 
He's kind of coming back out the the really loud kind of shouty nineties early two thousands fees and uh, like a really interesting actor if you've seen uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or even that yes. kind of the the Nazi Hunter TV show that's going around just now he's really found like this kind of this rhythm and groove which is a bit softer in the way he talks which I like a lot more um, mm. if I'm honest there's always so much you know you can yeah, there's more acting than actual shouting yeah it's just like it's the way that like uh, like Tom Jones sings like people keep telling me he's a great singer I'm like he's a, he shouts he, he shouts in key like, like that's literally it's all a like, skill in itself though in all fairness <laughs> it's a skill in itself it's like, but I think I think that's maybe I think that's maybe what I think that's maybe what is it's weird I, I hadn't really considered it's one of these things where I'm now going down a rabbit hole talking about this where I'm maybe over analysing things but it does make you look you've read out all the credentials for this movie you've read out the cast here we've talked about how great it is we've talked about the awards it's won how much money it's made Um yeah. And weirdly enough, like I say, you put that movie bookended by two Pacino De Palma productions and I, I, I genuinely think, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I never hear The Untouchables get as much love nowadays as I think the movie deserves. It holds up really, really, really well. Like, surprisingly oh. well. In terms of production and every, visuals and everything mm. else, you know, there's I, I reckon there's probably one scene that's a little ropey, um, which is obviously when um, Nitty falls off the oh, yeah. off the yeah the the blue screen on that's not. <laughs> um, but that's the only point. Yeah, that's the only point in the entire movie where you go. Eh, not so good. Everything else is visually right. It's lit well. Mm-hmm. You know the the suits and everything else that go with it are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah look, I, even the gun I, scenes. I am unashamed. Like, yes. you know when people are getting shot, like the squibs and all the rest. Like yeah. it's one of the arguments for like keeping things practical against digital. Like you show me any movie that has a gun scene where there's digital blood what, 30, 30 odd years after it's released and tell me if that's holding up and it isn't then you look at this mm-hmm. and you're like that yeah that's that's for life that will always look that crisp yeah and, and you know and this is like you say 30 plus years on mm-hmm. and it is gorgeous mm-hmm. you know the vehicles are right everything's you know so that sure they had a shitload of money that they could afford to shut down you know like the uh, the bridge scene that um that they do when uh, when they actually pick up the bootleggers coming across. Yep. You know, they shut down that bridge which apparently was a, a fairly fairly important thoroughfare. They shut it down for two weeks. Yeah. To I did, do shooting. I mean they, they closed down that section of the Chicago um train station. Uh, yes. you know, for, for that infamous scene which I, I mean that is he that is the hub, you know, of public transport in, in that city as well. So yeah, when you've got some money to bash about and you know you can close off parts of like huge parts of the city the city that is needed to do this you have that behind you you have time to really make sure that everything everything is spot on and De Palma is known for that ridiculous attention to detail he's a guy who sees the movie before it's playing in his brain and what you get is the you know you get the the result of that kind of perfectionist tones that he's putting out and it's why it stands out it's why it looks so good 33 years old the movie is which is like nuts <laughs> I know well, movies you, you that are 10 years old it, that are shit so. yeah. yeah that's right you think of any other movie from that period when you know we were pretty much we were coming to the end of the slasher boom and everything else mm-hmm. 
um, you know, some of the movies that came out then were not good. No, you know, we're, we're very, admittedly, you know, low budget, but even some of the high end stuff where they were just desperate to get, you know, bums in seats because VCR was going to ruin the world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're not great. And this, you know, like I say, it's 33 years on, you can watch it and it's beautiful. The music is great and everything that goes, everything that's in it just drives you through and again that pulls it back to the how is it two hours it doesn't feel like two hours mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that the also what the movie has in in its favour not only for its runtime, is the the actual order how it's running so like at at key moments very much like as weirdly it, it reminds me of like um, the best computer games are the ones where you like as you progress through the story you get another travel companion that helps you get to the next bit mm-hmm. And it's, they're introduced at timely parts of the story. Uh, not too many characters introduced at one time. You move through. Each character brings their own skill set to improve the next level of what Elliot Ness ultimately wants to do in taking down Capone. Um, and then builds up the the kind of level of, well, these guys are untouchable. And just at their peak untouchability, which is not a word, but I'm putting it out there, um, <laughs> that's, that's when Capone hits back. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's brilliant because then it brings you back down and then they have to coalesce again for this final push to take down, uh, you know, Capone. And I think that, that is, that's the genius of the movie is that the pacing is, is set so well with those key moments because like De Palma knows that you need these key moments to be you need the build up to them, the big kind of pathos, the release of these key characters being introduced, and and moving them through that way. There there isn't any downtime, even the time where like um, Ness is trying to you know he's doing a bit of soul searching or whatnot. These moments have impact, and you're drawn in as the audience, and that is is why two hours feels like you know an hour and a half. It, it can't be any other way because it's. It's crafted so well. Like even when we go to Canada, like even when the Mounties are there, you know, like, even when like we're, we're we're going off in a, a different kind of like a, like out with the city, like out to like big open green areas and what they're or, or whatnot. Where a movie would say that's where you would kind of want to slow down or change the, the dynamic dynamic of the movie. It's just as action packed. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 there's still so much going on, and, and you know what? Because you are such a podcast professional, you have segued Ooh. into um, just running through the 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 beats of the movie absolutely perfect. Oh, there we go. It's, it's almost as if I had done this before. Well, not with this it's movie. Amazing. I'm not. I'm not with this movie. So. In, you, in all your time, you've not sat and talked about this movie. Never. No. No. I, I think me and me and um, uh, a fellow podcasting friend, Bo Ramsdale, have talked about the Untouchables, but never in a recording. So we sometimes quote this movie. Um, what? For no reason at all. I don't. Like, I think he does it purely because he thinks all Scotsmen sound like Willie from The Simpsons, or like Sean Connery. There's no middle ground. Like that both no, is like yes. polar extremes. So, um, so yeah, like he's. It's one of those ones. That's why I was excited to come and talk about it. It's one of those ones that I'd, like I genuinely feel like it's like the same way I have this weird affinity with. Um, uh, oh, and it's this Outlander, the the Sean Connery movie. 
Um, oh, Outland, nice. Outland, not Outland. Outland, Outland yeah. where, where he's a he's he's a space cop, yeah, on a mine, and and that to me like has an incredible director behind it, has a great production behind it, has one of the quintessential Connery performances in my mind, and it's another movie that just seems to be lost to the pound pound DVD bin of time. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't understand why that movie is not bigger than it is because I think it's. Absolutely nuts, and I'm not saying the Untouchables is in the pound bin, like by any stretch no. of the imagination. But it's it's just it's these movies you just never hear talk about, which is weird again when you consider how prevalent kind of mafia stories became specifically after this. If you're looking at things like Goodfellas or well, specifically things Casino. like Casino. Um, then into things like The Sopranos even up to things like Boardwalk Empire which I mean kind of covers from a different side the the rise Mm. of a character like Al Capone Um, you know when you you look at all that you would think like people would be watching those and then going back and checking out their touchables or at least mentioning it I just don't think they necessarily do Um, see that like we have to touch on it We've been skirting around it. We've kind of mentioned it already. and We have been going through the kind of chronology of this movie. There's a particularly sad scene where national treasure Sean Connery dies. <laughs> right? right. He, he dies at the hand of fucking... <laughs> Nitty the enforcer. Nitty the, the white, white suit wearing enforcer who kind of is like a more kind of... He's got like... He's very gaunt in this movie, which makes him should make him less threatening, but for whatever reason, makes him more no. lizard or dragon like. It's weird. Yeah, um, no, it's it's lizard like because I said as soon as Billy Drago smiles, you're just going, oh no, <laughs> it's creepy. It's creepy. No, that, that, like, that says just predator. Yeah, like, like like whenever he smells, a baby's died. That's literally you know what I mean. That's like he knows something I don't know. The only smile I've ever seen on any character that resembles that mostly is the cartoon Grinch. When he, you know, when, you know when, when he realizes Christmas isn't going to happen, um, but yeah, like Con- Connery, like I love this scene. Now, there's a couple of reasons I love this scene because the first big reason is the Palma directs the shit out of this. We get some yeah. classic uh, dual screen um, the Palma work in here, um, but he lingers over the agonizing death of Jim Malone. Oh. Who like t- takes about if this movie's two hours long, half an hour of this is Jim Malone dying, like <laughs> just dragging himself up the hallway by his fingers. Yeah, you feel every pain, and yeah. you are willing him as the audience. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie where I'm still willing him just to get there, just in time. Um, and it's it's brilliant, and the it's the it's the great arc of that character about how he is telling him about how you hit back. Like, what you need mm. to do, you know, they send one of your guys to the hospital, you send one of their guys to the morgue. One of the greatest lines. That's right. If, if, he pulls, yeah, if he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, like you, to, to take down the mob, you have to be, like, more ruthless than the mob. And mm. Kevin Costner does not look like he's more ruthless than the mob. Um, no. Remember, we saw the baseball bat scene earlier that terrified us. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, it's that idea of, like, pushing them up. And weirdly... Like him dying the way he does, like in you know, almost in the arms of of, of Elliot Ness, um, being the way it is, like motivates that character to move on. But what is brilliant about it is that you expect Ness to go out all out war bloodbath, and it doesn't go that way. 
Like, he, he doesn't really compromise much of any of his values at all, uh, leading into the, the, the kind of final kind of scenes with the, the, the kind of shootout and stuff. He doesn't go, like... like He doesn't go rainbow. Yeah, he doesn't... He, which, once again, it would be really easy to make that movie. Um, mm. and, and he doesn't do it, and he holds back. And I think that's testament to great writing, but also testament to great directing and acting as well, that they know not to... Like, he has to be the the quote-unquote pious character that we are, mm. you know, wholesome character that we are siding with here. Otherwise, what's the point of all this? And yeah, He's the one good man. He is, and the one good man will take down the, the evil kind of arch-villain. And that, to me, is is another reason why it all holds together. Even when we're... The, the, <laughs> the Palma is playing every trick in the book... To make you go, Malone must be avenged. Um, you know, <laughs> like uh, we, we hold back on it, and it doesn't it doesn't affect the movie at all that way. If anything, I think it makes it makes the the kind of the end of the movie and Capone's co- comeuppance, so to speak, um, all the more sweeter. Like he got he yeah. got him the legal way. He could have got him any other way. He's a cop, yeah, but he got him he got him yeah, the but... legal way. And I, I I love that. I love the very end. Like you just when you know. Uh, yeah, you know you're going oh, down for this, and you like De Niro's kind of half doing the the kind of De Niro smile because it has to be seen as being kind of, but the other part of him is looking for a baseball bat that's not there. <laughs> oh yeah, he's raging. He's absolutely raging. You know, you're nothing but a mouth and a badge. Yeah, he's just, oh, yep. just going it's fucking off. amazing. That's the best way to end oh. the movie. And the thing is, you see the scope of that, like seeing it as as the Palmer sort of draws out, and you know, and the courtroom's in absolute chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's there; they're you know they're holding him back, and you just see Ness just stroll out to go, "Yep, did it the right way, absolutely <laughs> win." And it's just, you know, if he could have flipped him off and got away with it, he would have. It's yeah. just so good. You know, it closes it out really well. Look, we've, we've tapped on a couple of, like, really key scenes, and I really just want to get a couple of others, and I, I think um, it's really worth... Uh, and it's that opening scene where we start with the overhead. Oh, um, yeah. And, uh, and you get, you know, the, the sort of basic rundown of where we are in the movie, and um, Capone's talking to, we, talking to the newspaper guys, you know, and he says, in my neighbourhood, you know, we used to say, you got further... Um, uh, with a kind word and a gun than you did with just a kind word. Yeah. And it's just like, yep, I know exactly where I stand now. I know what to expect. It's a weird time period as well when you consider that, like, the the police know that he's, like, a rum runner. The yeah. media knows he's a rum runner. You know what I mean? He knows that they all know, but they're all running up for quotes and all the rest because he's like a respectable businessman. You know, like everyone knows he's a mobster, but all these quotes uh, like from Capone talking back to like, I just think it's, I, I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. I think it's great. And the way he plays off it is, you know, like nothing's going to stick to me. And what he's saying is not necessarily, weirdly enough, I'm not kind of against it. You know what I mean? The boy saying is like, you, be nice to people, but if you have to show force, show force. I'd like my country, we don't have guns, and I'm quite glad about that. Um, yes, but but you know what I mean. It's that sort of level of it's that way that like I am not a mobster, and you have got a show where you're going to be dealing with a lot of gangs and stuff like this. But there is a code, a kind of central code, not the extortion part, um, <laughs> and and the Costa Nostra, and you know that that I kind of I kind of respect. That idea of looking after your own people, making sure that, you know, 
horrible outside influences don't affect things and like sticking true to your word I love that aspect it's just all the violence and all the horrible shit at the back end that I don't get and I can see why as audience members um, and people at the time could fall in love with the mob you know that idea of you know well, they're protecting the streets they're looking out for us yeah we have to kick them up some money but I never see any trouble and I know everyone's well, name. Well, the, the giving is something that the government took away. Yes. Yes. And I, 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 love, I love that. You know, you talk about opening shots, not only are you getting that great overhead shot, not only you you know exactly where you stand with Al Capone, but this does a fantastic job of just putting it the... If you imagine you're stacking a chessboard, this puts all the key players in their place very, very, very quickly. And it does it not only in an efficient way, but in a way where you don't feel like we've rushed the story. Because we cut, yeah. like, we are dropping, you know, into, like, prohibition's already happened. So, like, yeah. so we're dropping it in the middle of the story and we don't need, like, a Star Warsian, like, intro. <laughs> you know, like, like, 19th, well, you know, we don't need that. We, we, we get as much information from media people talking, from, uh, like, our proponent, and then we'll lead up to Elliot Ness making his bust, and we get enough of it that we know exactly where we stand. And that, that that aids a lot because then we can relax, right? I, I know where we are, level foot, and let's go with it. Let's bring him down. Yeah, that, that's it. We know, you know, I mean, Capone says, he goes, yeah, when it's on the boat, it's bootlegging. When it's on Park Avenue, it's hospitality. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Yep, uh, and that's it. And, and you know, you know, in the background that um, even when when Ness is introduced, you know, to the police initially in the flying squad, you just get the sense that everyone's just bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just they're they're corrupt. I mean, look, I, I made a note and I went, the flying squad look like like Nazi stormtroopers. Oh yeah. I'm not gonna lie about it. It's just like straight away that visual tells you. That they're all rotten. Yeah. That there is not a good man amongst them. And look, there probably were. Uh, but, you know, the visual, like you say, it sets it so quickly without having to go into a massive amount of detail about, you know, what's what's going on. And, you know, it sort of goes through and we, um, you know, we obviously get to meet um, Jim Malone. And, you know, we get the whole bit about, it's the Chicago way. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Thank you. I'm pretty impressed by that one. Um, you know, and uh, Andy Garcia is as George Stone, and even that bit. You know, the the just the blatant racism. Oh yeah, that is in that that scene. But you know what? That's the way it was. There mm-hmm. was a real, real dividing line there between um, you know different cultures and everything else. Plus, George um, Stone, the most like you might as well be called Jim Liberty. I mean, it's the it's like the most American of American, really. Really, George Stone, you're feeling no one. <laughs> yes, uh, Sam Francisco. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. That's another movie that I can't do on this show, but I love it. <laughs> Um. Anyway, right, so, you know, you, you get all that. You, you even introduced to to Wallace. Mm. Initially, you just sort of go, don't get what he's there, but of course, he's the linchpin to the whole reason. You know why? How Capone comes down with the 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 tax and everything else, and even that bit. While it's like like it's tax. Yeah. You know, it's accountancy. It's not exciting. He as a character is developed really, really well, despite the fact that it's a fairly minor part. Yeah. Well, you see him later on wielding a shotgun, walking about the place with a. Cigar. It's like well done, Wallace. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, well done. He's just going. Well, I've got a gun. And, you know, it's, 
he's, he's excited about it. And, you know, we, we sort of get through. Everyone's there and they're on board. And one of the things that stands out to me every time is, you know, the the Untouchables has been formed and, and Malone says, all right, we're going to go on a, you know, we're going to go on a raid. And they literally go across the street mm-hmm. to the post office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's full. It's absolutely full. Full of, of just illegal booze, and you know, it's just like yeah, it's not the fact that no one no one knows where the booze is. It's just the fact that no one's willing to do it. Exactly, but that's 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 why you get that cynical like cynical view from Malone towards Ness. It's like right, like he's heard this speech before. He's heard other police officers and the mayor and whatever. We're going to crack down on this like this alcohol that's been running here. He's heard this pitch before. And yeah. he's he's completely and rightly cynical about it. And then when you know he puts them to the test, let's see, let's see what you'll do, Elliot Ness, yeah. when you're confronted with how close this problem is right now. Let's see what you do, and it's the first big test from. And that's kind of what I love about it because once Malone knows that Ness is the guy to do all this. Right, he starts. He plans out the strategy. This is what we're going to do, and this is where we're going to hit them, and this is how we're going to make them hurt. And you could argue that, it, I mean, Malone's approach is what escalates things to the level they do. And okay. but it's two, it's two kind of sides of the, the the team here. So you've got the muscle, which is Malone, which is going to rattle things up. But ultimately, it's the brains of Wallace that's going to come up with the with the, the charges that will stick within the law but you need both elements because if it's just pure muscle it, you know you're not going to get arrest you're just going to have bodies and if you have the just the, the the brain side of things you know he's going to wriggle out of this you need to make him overreach you need to make him like overstretch his his his, his cards on the table here so we can we can all see what he's got and then he's mm-hmm. fucked um and yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so well done. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm bouncing to my chair talking about it because I'm loving everything that's happening right now. But it's, it's so well done. It's such a, it's so, it's so easy to make, and it aids it because it's 1987. It's so easy to make a, a, a kind of gangster mob movie that just feels so derivative. And The Untouchables mm. is weirdly fresh considering it's, it's set be, before most of these movies that, you know, will be talked about. It's like the time period itself is one that is not always like looked at with a huge amount of detail when you're talking about specifically things like the mob. Um, yeah. And it's one of the more exciting times. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's one of the times where uh, I, I think the the people's view, like the general populace's view of the mob changed. Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, they were providing, uh, essentially providing a service, um, sure, at the cost of quite a lot of things, but they were giving the community back something that the government took away. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that's why, particularly this period is quite, um, it's weirdly polarising and why movies tend to go um, more towards, you know what, talking about Capone and the mob and everything else rather than the law enforcement guys. Because essentially, while, you know, and this Ness is the good guy and Capone's the bad guy, in public view, it was a little different. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, there were hardliners that said the law is the law, the way that obviously Ness said it. And there were others saying, well, you know what, you know, we've had prohibition for 12 plus years now um, and it's, we just want to drink, we just want to relax. We've always had it before, we want it again. These guys are providing it, LB, you know there's there's kickbacks and everything else that goes with it and it's one of the things that really draws me to this um 
and in other episodes i've sort of mentioned it that um you know obviously australia is built on the back of criminals but <laughs> i had i i'm sure i read that somewhere I, I, yeah, what vaguely, i'm happy to know is we had nothing to do with it so <laughs> yes uh although no doubt there were some viewers that were sent here too of course, um, most of them i would imagine if it was a penal colony <laughs> for villains most of them came from scotland yeah, but one of the one of the um, I suppose enduring stories in Australian culture is the story of the Kelly Gang, mm. and you know these guys were criminals. They were flat out, you know, shooting, killing, stealing. But the story doesn't center on that. It centers on the fact that he put a metal bucket on his head um, <laughs> and, and wore a cast iron like vest and got away from the cops. And you know what? There are statues, there are museums, there are all these things built to these criminals mm-hmm. because they were doing something completely different. And, you know, they were more focused on, you know, really just killing coppers and all that sort of stuff than they were about, uh, you know, hurting anybody else. So all of a sudden they were heroes. Mm-hmm. It's and weird, doesn't movie, it? <laughs> it? Look, it, it, it is decidedly weird. When you think about it, it's decidedly weird. But this this movie doesn't sort of fall into that. You really, you, you've got to remember that Costner really is the good guy in this movie. Mm-hmm. But it gets grey to the point, you know, they're happy to kill people. You know, as Malone tells him, you've got to send one of theirs to the morgue, and he does it. Yeah. Uh, yeah and it, I think... To the to its detriment, that's part of the reason why this movie doesn't get a lot of a lot of view because it's not the it's not a big gangster movie. Yeah, this is essentially you know uh, it's a procedural to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which is why people don't don't gravitate towards it because it's not glorifying you know the the mobsters the the Robin Hoods um, of, of the of that period. I could be wrong, but it's just a feeling that I get about this. It's got um, a weird. It's got a weird kind of when you spell it like that. It's got a weird sort of DNA with a movie like Donnie Brasco, for example, which is basically yes. it's like the the reverse of it. Though, so it's a procedural but set within the mob. Um, mm. But it's that same idea of this guy has to follow the rules. He has to follow the police rules whilst being in an environment where he, he really can't be seen to be following no. the law. Um, and you know, it's what it's what makes that movie stand out quite a bit as well. But yeah, I think I think I think you're right. I think everything you're saying is one hundred percent spot on. Um, and you know, and it kind of I think kind of justifies some of our positions that were mentioned before. Mm. So, getting back to obviously the movie uh, after after the raid on the post office, uh, we get we get the baseball bat scene. Life goes on. <laughs> a man become preeminent. He is expected to have enthusiasms, enthusiasms, enthusiasms. What am I? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Baseball. <laughs> a man. A man stands alone at a plate. This is the time for what? For individual achievement. There he stands alone. But in the field, what? Part of a team. Looks, throws, catches, hustles, part of one big team. Bats himself to live long day, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, and so on. (laughs) This team don't field, what is he? 
No. You follow me? No one. Sunny Day stands up full of fans. What does he have to say? I'm going out there for myself. <laughs> but I get nowhere unless the team wins. Team. Jesus Christ. It's so good. I, I, I just I want to bring it up as often as I can. I'm sorry. I just, it's the sound. It's the sound, oh. and then the thump off the table, and then just the screams, and then the pool of blood that slowly pulls out as the cameras. Are, it's just fucking brilliant. Oh, on the white white tablecloth, and of it's course. Just like oh yeah, it's just again so good, and just you get such a a, a gut feeling out of it it's uh, once again reminds you Capone is a bad guy because once again like yes. we see a lot of scenes where he's chatting to the press and he's you know he's, he's he's saying some things maybe he's ordering someone else this guy is not afraid to get his hands dirty does it in a, a full room of people knowing yeah. fine well that no one is going to see fuck all no, no that's right there's not a single person in that room that will say or do anything I mean, in the to the to the left of uh, of that shot, you can actually see Nitty just going back to what he's doing. Yeah, he's just a look. Just okay, whatever. Just ha- and having another drink. Yeah. But it's just, this is just what he does. Yeah, when that guy gets hit with a baseball bat, I'm fairly sure his head does go back into the left, though. Back into the left. <laughs> back into the left. And to the left. That's exactly it. Um, we then go out, obviously, to to the Canadian border. We have all that piece with that that big set piece with horses. So and good, again, so good. Oh, that that is such. It is so different from the rest of the movie. It stands out so much. You know, you've got horses and it's outside and it's big and everything goes on and it it you know it, it culminates in the scene when they get George. Is it mm-hmm. George? A, 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 the bookkeeper. Uh, yes, it's George. It's George. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's George, George. George, the bookkeeper. I don't know. I only remember that guy from Slapshot, and it, it ruins it for me every time. <laughs> um, but you know, you've got the scene where they're questioning George, and Malone goes out and picks up the corpse. Of, uh, <laughs> That's the <laughs> and, 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 and you know threatens him and says you know I'm gonna count to three and then blows the his brains so out fucking like, good and so fucking good oh, it's also why Connery's the best Bond like it is like because like, like Connery's Bond is not afraid to punch and then ask a question um, yeah. it's what makes him like, like he's a notorious hard man um, in cinema he played tough guys usually um, you only have to watch a movie like Zardoz to see them speaking the truth um, <laughs> true story uh, yeah, no, that, that, that's tough that movie is tough <laughs> he's a tough guy he's got a gun um, and a but, <laughs> and yeah nothing else um, but yeah like it's, it's a brilliant scene because the, and then the guy's like stuttering trying to try to explain it <laughs> he's, oh. he's fine it's brilliant because once, once I've got that because uh, it's the most unglamorous way to bring down Capone 
if you're the oh, yeah. you know, if you're if you're the untouchables, you want to like like you want like all the camera, you want everything. This is the big thing. Mm. But no, we're going to bring him down using his numbers. Yeah, yeah tax. using the using the tax system, and it's just yeah, it's the unsexiest way, you know. Like any you know, major bust, you know, they want to get a big haul of all their stuff and hurt them financially and do all that sort of stuff and have pictures of you know big stacks of confiscated stuff, gear and everything else. But no, 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 we've got you know a ledger, and that's what's going to take them out. Mm-hmm. And you know, you, you get through that, and straight away they cut back to another Capone scene um, where he's getting the bad news about the shipment and you know you get that that two minute clip of I want him dead I yeah. want his family dead I want his... <laughs> and it's just like oh I want to go to his house and piss on the ash <laughs> yes what? they got the shipment what? they got the whole shipment I want that son of a bitch dead I want him dead I want him dead I'm dead what am I alone in this world did I ask no. you what you're trying to do no, did I ask no, you what you're trying to do please I want you to get this fuck where he breathes. I want you to find this Nancy boy, Elliot Ness. I want him dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. I want to go to the middle of the night. I want to piss out his ass. Oh, so good. <laughs> he's, 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 the thing about it is, you, you know, like, De Niro probably, like, that, that, that was probably, like, the 12th time they'd done that scene, and De Niro, mm. like, delivers it perfectly every single time. Because he is Capone, like, at that stage. Fairly <laughs> yeah. sure someone, someone did have an impromptu visit from De Niro that night when he was pissing on some ashes in someone's house. <laughs> like, like yeah. I'm in method, I'm in character. Hope <laughs> that arm still, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. And I'm sorry because we're raising the stakes now, um, yeah. and we're we're starting to move. That. So if we're raising the stakes, I mean something bad's going to happen. Mm. Has to happen, and uh, and it does, and it does so well when um, uh, Wallace takes George down in the elevator, and you realise that Nitty is disguised. And you know what? If you don't pay attention, you don't realise that it's him straight away. Because there's a, a diversion of the woman getting out of the lift, and then they go down, and you know Wallace takes George downstairs, and um, you don't you don't see mm-hmm. it. you don't see what happens. Mm-hmm. You hear the gunshots, you see the exceedingly corrupt chief of police see two dead cops in the street and just cross himself, and then you know you got the whole scene where um, Malone is uh, run you know running downstairs with Ness, and they open up the lift, and it's just sprayed with blood, and the words touchable is like written in blood across the lift and it's just and uh, Wallace is hung up yeah. on uh, on you know on a hook and he's been shot through the glasses through the eye yeah because oh. it's that it's that way like, he's not going to have a open casket it's the it's the most br- it's, a, it's a mob pet if ever there was one yeah yeah uh, despite not back into the left just straight in the eye <laughs> <laughs> straight in the eye and headshot <laughs> That, that's right. If uh, in any other movie, that would have been done in slow mo. Just <laughs> brains just spraying out the back, across the thing with tears in his eyes. But no, see, so they don't. It doesn't get overplayed because Nitty is a background character. He's there, mm-hmm. and he, he's he's you know he's like Capone's like subconscious. He's the evil part of of Capone. He's yeah. the one that does the killing. He's the one that is merciless about it. Um, you know, Capone's just this this larger than life character and Nitty's the one. I mean, he was the enforcer. You know, he he blew up a a, a shop with a little kid inside. <laughs> right at the start of the movie and it's just like, yep. He's the man. 
Yeah, Capone, Capone doesn't get to where he is without having like loyal people underneath oh. him. But you, every every organization needs the mad bastard that you know doesn't give a <laughs> fuck about anything. Yeah, yes, they're, they're just the absolute psychotic and, and nitty is him in this movie. So, um, you know, we, we get through that and obviously, you know, Ness goes across the road, confronts uh, Capone, uh, you know, in, in his home, essentially. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it, I love when he goes to pull a gun and there's like 20 guns automatically just pointed at him. <laughs> so I've seen, seen in Robocop, ooh, guns, guns, yeah. guns. Guns, <laughs> Oh, so good. You know, and you get nothing. Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing. Oh, look, he, he is chewing it. He is absolutely chewing this, the, the scene. It's just... <laughs> you know, it's like he's permanently got... But you know what I mean? It's like he's permanently got the the cigar in his mouth, even when it's not there. <laughs> oh, what a description of him. <laughs> You're you're spot on. You're spot on. Like this is an it's an audio medium. I could people can't see the fact that I'm pulling you. I'm pulling that face. Yeah, the the De Niro face that everyone pulls when they try and do an impression of De Niro. (laughs) That's exactly. It's the De Niro face with a sound. Yes, like your 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 face muscles go back into the left, um, (laughs) don't they? That's how you did. Yeah, then they go back into the left, and your lip just sort of goes down. Um, so. <laughs> so when we go through that um we find out about the bookkeeper who is Walter Payne mm-hmm. uh we then get to the scene that we've mentioned a couple of times where obviously Malone gets absolutely murdered and we get the the comment about just like a wop to bring a knife to a gunfight brilliant yeah. <laughs> brilliant and I, then sadly like the please against him. A, yeah <laughs> I like the fact that he keeps a sawn off in in the cabinet it is <laughs> It is our home. Yep, just the doorbell rings. Get the sawn off. Yeah. Also, as well, what I love about like because this is shades of like we were talking about the scene earlier on being like De Palma, but this is classic De Palma. So this is like like straight razor. You know, like 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 yeah. it's just Jallo. That it's, it's it's like a weird. Yeah. It's like it's he is a like a uh, Drago is a Jallo killer, but in like white, which doesn't make any sense. It's like the inverse of it. I fucking love it. It's stylish as fuck. And he just oh, like he yeah. just does it as if it's nothing. Like he's just like I'm, I'm just going to do one of these scenes in here, yeah. Because why not? I'm the deal. You yeah. know, I, I can do whatever I want. Um, and it's it's it's, it's brilliant. And, and it pulls at the heartstrings. But at that point, we've stacked the cards. Like we, we've got two of the kind of background characters in the the Untouchables crew are now gone, and it's it's left to to. George Stone, if that is your real name, and Elliot Ness to bring things home. Yeah, and then obviously that that drags us straight into the scene in Union Station, which we mentioned earlier. One of the greatest, one of the great scenes of all time, and like my personal opinion, when we talk about the power of action sequences in cinema, this is a action scene which is done in slow motion. Yes. And doesn't miss a beat. Done, <laughs> no, but it's done well. It's not, a, and it's not about you know we hadn't kind of hit the bullet time stage. Yeah, um, where where you know everything was like track the bullet and all that sort of bullshit. Um, not I love the Matrix. Don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> but you know there was a point where every movie had it, and it's just like oh, I'm done. Just fucking let it go. Uh, but you know there's there's so much going on on this, and really you know this is the set piece that they're here is very small mm-hmm. 
you know, there's a set of stairs, there's there's the doors in and out of the station, and then there's the balcony, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and so much happens in this, you know, you you know straight away, you know, when you see the woman with the baby and everything else that, you know, he he's torn, he doesn't know what to do, and he's watching, and, you know, it, it culminates, you know, in the scene that everybody has seen, you know, with, with the, the baby carriage, like, bouncing down the stairs in amongst the, the shooting and and everything else, and you're just sort of going... You don't. There's, there was part of me that never knows what I should be looking at, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the Palmer's telling me he's pointing at all the things that I should be paying attention to. But you know, I, I want to go. I, I want to see more of the guys shooting. I want to see more of what happens with that baby. And everything's happening at once in slow mo, and I'm mm-hmm. still going. I, I want to know what happens. You know, and the weird thing is, this scene isn't bloody. No, it's not. <laughs> It's not explosive. It's not. It's not um, gory. But it's visually just so. Uh, it's so busy, like compared to. Thank what, you. That, yeah, yeah. It's so busy compared. He deliberately slows the pace down for your big action set piece. It should be the other way around. So he's inverting mm. expectations there, but it's so rich and busy with visual keys and visual cues that you get the experience of a action-packed scene whilst it's playing at half the time of what it should. It's fucking genius, is what it is. This is why I love De Palma. This is why I love him, like, hands down, one of my favourite directors of all time. Because he does shit like this. It's ballsy as fuck. This is how I'm going to finish your movie. I'm going to give you a massive shit out, but I'm going to do it slow. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time looking at an innocent baby and a car trying down there as we're going to hear the sound effects in the background without seeing the action. It's amazing. So good. And, you know, he, he puts an exclamation point on it as it finishes, you know, stones on the floor, holding the holding the pram, you know, with his gun out. Ness is on the balcony. They're both, you know, obviously they've they've got a standoff with um, the bow tie driver, and that's how he's credited in the movie. Um, <laughs> and and he, while it isn't him, he looks weirdly like, um, and I can't think of the guy's name off the top of my head. The the guy from Raising Arizona. Oh, is um. You know who I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, dude, dude. Hey, fuck. Uh, John Goodman's brother. Yeah. Um, in Raising Arizona. For those of you at home, feel free to yell at me. Um, <laughs> but he looks like... It's not him. It looks like him. Um, but it's not. And, you know, he says, have you got the shot? And he goes, I've got the shot. And just, boof. And that, that absolutely puts an exclamation point on that scene. It's the one, like, explosion that you see. And it's just like, boof, done. And then we just move on. Yeah. And it's so good. And you, you, like, you're almost holding your breath. Just at that point, I know I was. And I oh yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, is it William Forsyth? Is the actor that we're struggling to remember? No, is it no, not him? It's not it's William gonna Forsyth. Me. It's going to annoy um, me because I'm now racking my brain to try and work out who it is. <laughs> um, the thing is, because I the, the sad thing is, is I um, I actually looked it up and went, oh no, it's not him, and then promptly forgot who it was. Um, <laughs> mostly be, because. Oh, I'm an idiot. Uh, it is William Forsyth. You're right. Sorry, my mistake. I, 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 I thought he was. I thought he was John Goodman's brother. Uh, he's William Forsyth. He's John Goodman's brother in Raising Arizona, which is an awesome movie. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, but complete, but it's not him. It looks like him though. Um, <laughs> the caffeine's kicked in. I'm, 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 uh, <laughs> You're going to be uh, seeing everything in slow motion when you finish recording. Yes, it's going to be like the end sequence of the Untouchables. <laughs> 
Uh, no, it'll be like that episode of Futurama where, where Fry has like a hundred cups of coffee. It's a hundred, yeah. <laughs> Ding! And everything just goes super slow. Just... Anyway, I'll be chasing prams for the rest of the um, <laughs> we... this all Obviously, you know, now that they've got the... They've got the bookkeeper. It goes straight into the trial, mm. you know. And this is obviously the you know the final fifteen minutes, and it's a big set piece. And I think under normal circumstances, um, any other director would have finished it with this court scene. Yep, I agree. Yeah, right? but but De Palma, you know, pulls it out, and and we get the whole sequence with Nitty and Ness, you know, and him finding out that. Nitty has the matchbook with Malone's address on it, and he realizes that he's the killer. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's that chase sequence across the br- across the roof and everything else. The bit where Ness rolls off the roof, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, oh my god! Uh, but you know, but that's the noise he makes. <laughs> You've just ruined this movie for me. I'm gonna really watch this the same way again. <laughs> So you gotta, you'll see that, but you know, comes back and shoots Nitty through the top of his hat, and you know, and Billy Drago goes flying back, and you think, oh, it's a headshot, but no, 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 he just shot his hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, you get that sequence, and, and you go through there, and you know, you think that obviously, you know, Nitty thinks he's literally untouchable. He's he's got a note from the mayor that mm-hmm. says he can do whatever he wants, which it just it, it it talks to the level of corruption that's in that city. Um. And you know he taunts he, he taunts Ness about the whole thing about killing Malone and everything else, and you know Ness just Ness Ness finally breaks and throws him off the roof. <laughs> and as we mentioned, that sequence, you know what? If they'd just shown him throwing him off the roof and then cut to the the point where he hits the car, yeah, that much better. Yeah, but it's De Palma. He needs to show you and follow. Yeah, yeah, and, and again, blue screen. Not so good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> moving moving away from that, we go straight back, um, and you know we, we've he goes goes back. They discover that the the jury, the whole jury, has been bribed. Like it's not just one or two guys. No, it's the entire jury. Yeah. If you, well, why take a chance? <laughs> if you're Capone, if you're, if you're why even why even bother taking the chance? You're rich enough to put everyone uh, on the, on the tab. So let's put everyone on the tab. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we go through the sequence where the juries get sw- switched over uh, after Ness basically tells the judge that, oh, no, you're on the list too. <laughs> you're in the books, despite the fact that he isn't. And there's just enough, like, worry. And the look on the, the judge's faces is like, I know I didn't do anything wrong, but but maybe I did. And yeah. I'm not really sure. <laughs> He's just like, it was enough to threaten him with the fact that he might have been in the book, uh, might have been in the ledger that he goes, yep, swaps him. And then everything erupts into that final scene that we're talking about, where you know they're just Capone goes goes mental. He's uh, punches out his his lawyer, which I love. It's just like ah, yes. Yeah, well, they changes it to changes his his, uh, his yeah to guilty. Goes through and look, honestly, I still think that whole scene. You know, they're holding him back, and he's just oh. I honestly think that. Uh, he may have actually punched him. I'm not really sure, but De Niro may have just gone full method and just punched that poor guy in the face. Because uh, by this stage, he's he's gone. He's he's component completely. He's over the top. Oh yeah, but it has to be. He's yeah. He he's absolutely bananas. I for me, this movie could have ended when Ness just walked out of out of the um out of the courthouse. That would have been enough. 
Um, we do yeah. we get a bit of a you know bit of a, 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 a sappy ending. You know, we Ness handing over the stuff to Stone and walks away, and then we get the joke about you know, well, if it get, if prohibition gets repealed, you know, I think I'll have a drink. <laughs> Um, and, and we walk out. <laughs> Sorry, it's that, that scene. Uh, it didn't need, it, in my opinion, it didn't need to be there. It actually, yeah. for me, it, it sort of took away from from what had just happened and the the epic level of acting in that scene in the in the court. If they, listen, they ended it as he'd walked out of the court, I would have been one hundred percent happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. You know, it, it's good to close it out, and I get it. And you know, obviously, we we get that. You know, prohibition's going to end, and maybe we needed to, that note. But you know, that's what it is. And then you know, all of a sudden, we're at the we're at that that two hour mark, and we're done, and everyone breathes and unclenches. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and we're good. Oh, so, um, so much talking, so much stuff. For me, um, my my favourite scene is without a doubt the the scene where Malone blows away the dead gangster's brains because that is just <laughs> the reaction from George. So uh, he he just goes he goes full Italian for like uh, thirty seconds and probably quite clearly soils himself. <laughs> um, it's, well, Malone even says, "Don't let him clean himself until he's answered." And uh, sorry, that was terrible. Uh, but you know. <laughs> But you know, it just really nailed that. That scene is so good. Um, that for me, that that is the the on top of everything else, it, it was enough for really nailing home to push what he's willing to do. You know, it's so good. Now I've got to ask you, what's your favourite scene, mate? I mean, this is we should put me in cinematic jail, but it is um, it is Jim Malone's death in the movie. It's like Pete De Palma for me. Like this is like where De Palma like. Like encapsulates pretty much most of the cinema that got him to that point, but the setup, the execution, the split screens, the the musical cues, the way it's drawn out, the cinematography, just everything about it. And Connery plays it really, really, really well. Um, yes, you know, what I mean, he doesn't he doesn't overplay it. He's not doing that. Oh, you shot. Oh, you know, like like he's. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't have to do it that way, um, and it, it works perfectly. And it's it's immensely sad as well. It's like a, it's one of those sad scenes which, like, it's just to me, it's the linchpin to the movie really because everything like right, Wallace dies, and that's a sad thing. But everything changes after Malone dies, um, yeah. and you know that that to me it's just one of those I, I, the, the artistry and the craft that goes in to making a scene like that is one of the reasons why I will will always, like I said earlier on, regardless of where he's, he ends up or whatever he makes now, it's why I'll always be a diehard De Palma fan. So. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. All right, um, skipping into leader of the pack or the standout for this movie. For me, as I mentioned up front, it's Billy Drago as Nitty. He is just, he's creepy, he's a killer, um, and it's just... His character is so understated against um, the component character that it just works for me. Nice. I'm I'm going to have to once again pull for the the, the home country. Connery, I love him. I think he's I'd like there's there's something. Connery basically in this movie plays pretty much the same role as he plays in Highlander. <laughs> Yeah, like like he he comes along. Yeah, no, yeah, I can see that. He yeah. comes along at the right time to be a mentor, mentors Elliot Ness, and all the ways that he will be able to take down Capone and then dies at the hands of 
his enforcer uh, thus spunning Elliot Ness to do the thing he needs to do at the end so it's basically the same role um, and if we were talking about Highlander I would tell you the MVP of Highlander is also John Connery even though Clancy Brown holds a special place in my heart um, but yeah I think always, he's always I think he's, Clancy Brown I'm sorry it will always be <laughs> it's always been the Kurgan um, but yeah he's like it, to me he's, he's brilliant the fact that we get that, that standoff between the two of them uh, between Nitty and Malone um I told you it's my favourite scene, so I'd like it, it. It works for me on on many levels. I think he's he's really, 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 really good in this. Plays tough, um, and 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 the way that you want him to play tough. His character is like mm. no bullshit, and I love that. But Nitty's exactly the same way. They're basically they're like opposites of each other, working for each of them have the enforcer, but like, well, each of them have the the boss that can do so much, but can't really get too. In, in the weeds, Cat, and then yeah. they have Malone and Nitty, who are basically the, the, the you know the the bag men of the, or both organisations. I kind of love that. Awesome. All right. Well, what about uh, your rating, mate? We do uh, out of five. I know you may be familiar with that system. So <laughs> by all means, uh, what is your score? Out the Untouchables untouch- untouch- is a five for me. A five. I don't know where you land. It's like I think well, it's I, I think with the issues that we've raised. As being small mm. concerns, it's a it's damn near a perfect movie. It's a movie that at thirty three years old does not feel like it has aged much of anything at all. Um, I think it's paced perfectly. I think the cinematography is phenomenal. I think the score is phenomenal. Um, casting excellent. Yeah, it's a it, to me it's as damn near da- as close as you get to a, a perfect gangster movie. This is you're hundred percent correct there. I, for me, it's a four point five only because. Every time I see uh, Nitty fall, it takes me out of it. And for me, that it annoys me because the rest of the movie is so good. It is just so evocative and <laughs> so emotional. And it's just like, oh, now you put in shit in blue screen and I'm mad. And, and then, then I come back and I'm going, now I'm happy again. Um, yeah, look, it's a solid 4.5 for me. Um uh, nice. You're making me want to. Nice. You're making me want to change, though. You are making me want to change it to a five, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick with my guns. Four point five. It is freaking awesome. Everyone should see it. If they've already seen it, see it again. Uh, see it soon, and talk to me about it. Now, closing out the show. Thank you very much for joining me uh, in the very early numbers. Uh, as I said, I, I love chatting with you, and I'm really happy to get you to talk about this movie, which you clearly, clearly love. Would you like to tell listeners who may not know you exactly where they can oh, find yeah. Yeah. your fantastic work? Um, yeah, so um, if you liked what you heard, well, you probably didn't, but if you did, and you wanted to hear me throw maybe the same amount of passion or scorn on movies in a completely different genre, that genre being horror, you can check me out on podcast Under the Stairs. It can be found on the website tputzcast.com or if you search podcast Under the Stairs on any device, uh, you will be able to find my humble little show. So please come and check me out. And once again, I cannot honestly thank you enough. I don't often get an opportunity to chat out with the genre that my show exists in, but any opportunity to do that is uh, is exciting, especially when it's chatting with you about movies like this. And as soon as we hit stop, uh, we will compare notes on what you might think the movie is that I want to come back and do somewhere in the future. And I look forward to m- making my return then. 
Outstanding. Thank you, sir. All right, well, coming up on our next episode in two weeks' time, we're dragging our guest into the twisted future of Street Gangs in A Clockwork Orange. Remember, be a good fellow and leave a rating or review on whichever app you're using to listen to the show and make sure you share it with the rest of your gang on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as GOHpod and at www.gohpod.com. Most of all, make sure you say hello to your little friend for me. Touch the shirt.